How are y'all doing? Well, awake? Debatable. I feel that. Hmm. That's <laughs> uh, Hey, that's that's needed. All right. Well, as you know it, we are in Hebrews. Today we're in Hebrews 11, picking up where Jared I think taught last week, and he did 11. Or sorry, he did 11, 1 through 10. And I wasn't here, so what did he talk about? Because I know, I know we covered people like Enoch, Noah, Abel, or yeah, Cain and Abel, Enoch, Noah. What else? What did what you guys learn last week? We talked. We talked less about people, more about the subject. The subject of faith. Yeah. What is faith? He asked this question today. Was faith? Mm -hmm. How has faith really the Old Testament? Um, how has faith really the New Testament? And what is faith do? Okay. Okay. How would you guys answer those? Oh, uh, well, let's start with very basic then. Like, what is faith then? And you can use the passage. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. It's basically, we have to talk about faith as a has an object. Okay. So we're just talking about like generic faith. Mm -hmm. You have faith in something. It's Everybody based in something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everybody has faith. It just was. Okay. Cool. All right. With that, then let's uh, keep reading. But again, you got to remember the context of this. So these are written to Jews that are starting to want to go back to Judaism, right? And um, the author of Hebrews is trying to show them that, like, Christ is better than the prophets, than the sacrifices. He's the perfect holy one, prophet, priest, king, all those great things. And so now we are still in the hall of faith. So starting in verse 11, uh, Hebrews 11 we can start reading. It says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, the one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. All right. 
with that, we can jump into prayer and then dive into this. So I'll pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for your word. I pray that uh, you're open our eyes to it and that we can um, be shaped by your word and sanctified by it, and that you can grow our faith and trusting you and our love for you, um, and that you can uh, not have us distracted and anxious with the things on earth that uh, trouble us, but that we can keep our eyes focused on you and your promises. And we just pray for the service today, Lord, that you'll speak through Johnny and that uh, you be with us as we worship and that we can praise you and glorify you. In your name I pray. Amen. So we just read 11 through 19, talking mainly about Abraham here. And I want to get a couple of things out of the way just to keep on like the front of our minds as we read this. A couple of like little applicable things. It's like having dessert first in a way, because usually you save application for the end. But I think it's good to mix it up. So front loading. I didn't know that. Yeah, so it's only main three main things. I always do this when I take notes and I find it helpful. But we got why. So why is this text important? Why should this matter to us? It's because we're still waiting on the promises of Christ to be fulfilled when he comes back, his return. Um, and because we don't always have strong faith. So in this passage, we're going to see someone that had not perfect faith. He definitely messed up sometimes and even lied about his wife being his sister. But in the end, he still had his eyes focused on what God was doing and what he had ultimately promised him. When are we going to see things like this in life? Um, when we're focused on the current tragedy in our lives instead of the eternally faithful God who keeps his promises. And then we have how, which we're kind of going to, how is kind of going to be in the, all of this as we read and talk. But how do we do this and how do we practice the scripture? in our own lives, by knowing God's faithfulness more from his word and from the stories of how he's been faithful in the lives of the church and how he's been faithful in our own lives that we tend to forget. So with that, we could dive into verse 11 and it says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. When I was studying for this, there was like paragraphs and paragraphs about like who the focus of this verse is. And it like doesn't really need to be boiled down to like, oh, it was only talking about Sarah. Oh, it was only talking about Abraham because it takes two to tango. Like they both had this kid. Like the old main, the main person that did this was God. He should be the main focus of it. He took a barren woman and a man that was as good as dead because of how old he was and they made a baby at like 90 and like 99 years old, I think is what it was. So it's still like a miraculous thing that God chose to bring life to something that was very much dead. Um, is there any questions there so far? Because when I first read, I was like, no, the, the focus is Sarah. It literally says her name. Yeah. So uh, I think I think the Baron's theme that you're hitting on is, I mean, and something that the author of Hebrews is doing is talking about life and death, mm -hmm. death of life. Um, that cycle of barrenness was basically a symbol of death, the grave, mm -hmm. um, and that grave is made alive uh, so that you could conceive. And that just happened to be like all women 
that God uses in the Old Testament, very rarely than Lebanon. Not an issue there. Mm. And uh, I think it's just pointing out that the faithful, the faith of Sarah, particularly, is that, and of Abraham, is that God can do what he says he will do. Um, and simply that he will bring the past promises and even into life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to go to Genesis 22 too. Is 22 2. Yeah, also. So, yeah, no, that, that death to life thing is very big. I think it was in 2 Kings too. There's a woman that is trying to have a baby, and then it's a very similar situation to what we'll see in Isaac and Abraham, but they revive the kid. Or is it Elisha revives him? Yeah, but. It's a rabbit trail. So, uh, so now we go on to what else they said. It said, therefore, on verse 12, from one man as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Where have we heard that before? Where is this coming from? Like, He says he has many children as there as stars and but who said that? Obviously it Abraham. Right. And so now we're seeing fulfillment of what God's promised. In Genesis you just see him promise those things. And now the author Hebrews is reflecting on It's a little Mm-hmm. And they're they're in it. Yeah. Like Yeah, like he's saying it to the people who are the stars. Mm-hmm. True. Okay, I think it was here where I was wanting to go back to Genesis 22 now. Make a flip here. Does anyone want to read the entire chapter? Or I can read it, or we can chunk it up, or... Uh, yeah. I think so. I'm trying to figure out. I think it was the whole thing. Oh, mm, yeah, it was just. No, it was just one through one through 14. Do you want to read it? Go ahead. Yeah. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering of those, and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and, and saw a place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, my, Behold, the, wood, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? burnt offering. Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. 
So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar and on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and took the boat. And behold, behind him the ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of the son. So Abraham called the place, the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Okay. So now we've familiarized ourselves again with the story of Abraham. And so with that, when we look back to, should have put my thumb there, to Hebrews 11, we're seeing this faith played out. With more details. Where is this? And so in the story again we have how Abraham is called by God now to take his promised son that he waited for. Like this was that we talked about was a life to death or death to life situation. Barren womb, now he has a son. And now God's calling him to go kill his son. And so how does Abraham respond to that? Does he like wait a little bit and kind of uh, just push it off? He, mm -hmm. Did you have something? Oh, oh okay. he goes immediately. Yeah. yeah, so he doesn't delay. He's already, I mean, that's, I don't know if I would say faithful, but definitely obedient. He's already listening to what God has said. Um, and we'll see later on in this that he had faith that God was going to raise him from the dead. And there's some of the words that he chooses or that he's that he uses in Genesis that it shows that like he really believed it. Like he talks when he's going up there, he tells the the guys that went them, like, well, we are going to worship and we'll return again. Like we're coming back. So he definitely had faith that somehow, some way, either God was going to revive him, or he was. And he talks to Isaac, and he says, "Dad, where's the lamb?" And he says, "The Lord will provide it." And so he had faith. He, he had faith in things that he didn't see yet, like we talked about the definition of faith that we see in the beginning of Hebrews. He was trusting God with the things that were not yet revealed. So, any questions so far? Any thoughts? What's your thought? I was thinking, like, you talked about how Abraham has this faith in something that's not seen, but he, his faith is kind of in Moses because his faith in what God will do in the future, which is to provide his son. Mm -hmm. But then Abraham goes and does this thing that's almost exactly like the thing that he would have faith in that then about, which is that he would go up, sacrifice his son, and then he believes that God is going to raise him from the dead, which is what Jesus ended up doing. Mm -hmm. Which is it's just interesting that I thought that this thing was going to happen. And it did just way, way later with the different sacrifice. And mm -hmm. that was the sacrifice that covered all of us. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like to know how often he reading this story because he says, figuratively speaking, he never seen Byron. 
Like, he, even, even though he didn't literally die, mm -hmm. as soon as God says, protect the precious son. And Abraham said, he's like, hey, I have been. Yeah. Like, he, like, God has sentenced this into reality. My whole life I've seen God say all these things that he's going to do, and he just keeps on doing everything he says he's going to do. So in his head, that's the best. Mm -hmm. And and so when the ranch provided it, like, in Abraham's mind, he is received that. Because he, he, he didn't do that and so it's interesting to see that even though he didn't literally die, and in one sense you could say that he did. That makes sense. And it, it's interesting to me how God does nothing to soften the blow to Abraham. I mean, take, he doesn't just say, go sacrifice Isaac. Take your son, you know, the only one, you know, that one you love. <laughs> and what he, I think it's really accentuating what we heard later from Helen. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about his love for the son, mm -hmm. his only son. And mm -hmm. parallels are just incredible. Yeah. The fact that he calls him like Abba, where is, where's the lamb for this thing? So, yeah, that's a good point. But you mean he isn't basically looking at your office. You said it's Sarah, the, the main thing there. Mm -hmm. And now we're jumping to now with Isaac being the main thing that is Sarah. But I think there's something, you know, that's the obvious stuff that we look at. I think of what Stephen did when he was in Acts. After several, he was talking about gave an overview with the whole old husband, pretty much, you know, in the sermon. As but yet, if we look back and really look at the whole history, you know, we go back to Genesis 15. Like, you know, I was reading this this morning and looking at it, that you prepared the classroom, and he said, hmm, okay, you've got the obvious, but what's not the obvious? And a couple of things that jumped out at me was the fact that. As you began with the fact that, you know, it was going to be his seed, okay, it's going to be humorous to the point that he left. And you better look at it from two perspectives. You've had Ishmael, mm -hmm. you know, his seed, then you had a promised seed, Isaac, which we dwell on. Mm -hmm. That's what we dwell on. But looking at the bigger picture of, you know, all the people that are there, and then bring it to an application. Of in New Testament and the, the age that we're in today, you know, you look at it that we're, you know, there's many people and God chose so that the terminology of election, mm -hmm. as I promise you, we're part of that. That's the point that we're basically the seed of Abraham spiritually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. We'll definitely touch on that in a little bit. But like what Forrest was saying, he basically had a death sentence as for Isaac. As soon as God told him to do this and, I, and Abraham was acting on it, it's like it says about Abraham being so old is that he was good as dead, basically. Like you're basically a dead man walking um, because of what's coming. Thankfully, God had a substitute, which will see spiritual uh, similarities to that with Christ and how we deserve to die. Um, now let's go on to 
verse 13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. So what is it talking about when it says that they received these things promise, but having seen them from afar, like what, what is it saying? What did they see from afar? And how did they die in faith? If they didn't get to see like what God promised them. They saw afar the serpents had been crushed. Um, the seed of woman crushing the seed of that serpent, but that that's a more transmitted, you know, promise. But the promise is given directly to Abraham, particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, land seed of blessing, yeah, promised land, uh, the seed of the woman will continue, and the blessings of nations. And you see that over and over and over again. Um, but it was never final. Mm-hmm. There's always something else beyond that. There's, uh, there's never an influence. It was always a shadow. Mm-hmm. Um, they were across. Yeah, they were all mm-hmm. the way of the day. Yeah. Uh, reveal himself. Uh, I mean, the verse of Christ. But again, I see the way that they're thinking about it is uh, the promise, seed of the woman. Um, yeah. Back. But you can relate all to the fact that. You know, Sarah, the young, calendar age, we, you know, see, yeah. you had very miraculous mm-hmm. to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. yeah. There's little glimmers of what's to come. So, like, yeah, miraculous birth, the craziest miraculous birth from a whole virgin, not even that she was just old. Uh, there was no man involved. And then you have, like, what we talked about earlier. Isaac represents Jesus, this whole sacrifice thing that's going on of the father sacrificing his son. We obviously see that in the story of Jesus and the crucifixion. Um, yeah, was there anything else there? Anything else that reminds you of what is to come when we we'll get to the New Testament? Yeah, I think even Abraham, when he dies, he buys a small plot of land to be buried in the land of Canaan. Mm-hmm. And God's promised him that land, but and they even try to give him the land, but he says not in favor. And so like, he's looking forward to God fulfilling the promised land, even though he doesn't have it. Even in his death, all he died is a very important. Um, and I mean, he's, he's looking to the time when God's going to dwell in the land. And you see that later in the Tanakh, when the temple and the whole nation of Israel, and that's just, God is slowly going back to conventional football. And so I think it's another aspect. I think even with Abraham, like, you, you see him, how he does that with my You see it with the text mentions to Joseph and yes. talking about, um, talking about huh. you know, take my bones out of you when he dies in Egypt. Take my bones when you guys leave here because God's going to visit you. Because he told him, you know, form here is going to visit. So, like, they, they have like, these very clear points where God says, you know what, not yet, but in the future, not yet. Mm-hmm. So I think they're I think they're holding on to those things that they, they haven't seen. <laughs> that that thing about Abraham not owning any of the land and and Jesus having to buy a burial plot. It's reminiscent of Christ saying, Oxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man does not have anywhere to lay his head. Mm-hmm. He to whom belongs the earth 
and all that is in it. Yeah. Yeah. What do you guys think? What do you think it's talking about when it says that having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth? I mean, kind of goes along with what you just said, but how did they live as exiles? Like, why is it using that term? Well, Thomas was so far beyond them that they had no idea where their physical home really was. Mm-hmm. Right? But we have, we have, you know, Abraham having faith that this is the land that God said that he was going to give him, based on the promise. But yet, not to receive that promise. After the So we're headed. No, you can go. Keep going. Uh, because we have not necessarily, like you said, like that received everything that's been promised. Mm-hmm. You were saying earlier that we uh, are waiting for Jesus' return, right, to make good on your things. He has ushered in the kingdom of God, and we definitely see the fruits of it now on the back of the church in general, right? That we are called together with people we can encourage each other and, and spur each other on. But the world still has the effects of sin in it. Right, we still have the consequences of sin, and we're still even sinful ourselves. And so, we don't fit in, in the world. We don't. We're not fully in the kingdom of God is here in sense, but it's not fully as as we described it as being. And so, we're exiles. We don't fit in what the the you know vast majority of the world. In the same way that Abraham didn't fit in the vast majority of the world, mm-hmm. um, because he he was following the surrounding nations weren't. Um, and so I think there's a, there's a very clear correlation, I think, throughout all the biblical history. There's this idea of being an exile on the street, set apart mm-hmm. from the vast majority of the people. Yeah. We treated like it. Yes. I mean, that's what, um, I think we just look at Joseph again. I mean, they, even though Joseph uh, helped the cupbearer, for instance, get out of the cupbearer for God. When he talks about it, he talks about like young Hebrew, like this condescending kind of language. Um, and so it's not even like his people are being, God, people are being raised up uh, by the society around them. God is doing the raising up. Yeah. And so continually add to the problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that theme, as living ex- exiles, can someone read Philippians 3.20 and Ephesians 2.19? Whenever you get it, unless everyone flipped to Philippians 3.20 first. 2.19, okay. Yeah, it says, 
Anyone have Philippians 3.20? Lydia. Lydia, okay. Yeah, go ahead. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. Go ahead, Rex. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah. So like Forrest touched on, we're citizens of heaven. Like once we're in Christ now, we're united with him. And I mean, the things of this world should no longer have our hearts and we shouldn't have our faith in it. What are some of the things that we slip up on though and put our faith in that are on this earth? Money, vehicles. (laughs) Yeah. They're not faithful. (laughs) Hmm. Power, influence, yeah. The faith in the government, yeah. They're stopping man in general. Or they have their faith in themselves. I trust in riches, might, or wisdom. Hmm. Ultimately, those things that are fleeting, we put our faith in them. Why, why do you guys think that is that we do that? Even though we can sit here and acknowledge that they're fleeting, we still do it. Yeah, but we don't really trust God's promises then to be greater than those things. I think it's easier. It's it's there's yeah. it's a bigger theme, but I think the idea is that, is that we see that we look at the things that are visible. So they they have to trust, and it's harder to trust something you don't see than it is to trust something that's immediately in front of you. The thing that's immediate in front of you is tangible, true. You can touch it, you can hold it, you can feel it. It's there. Mm-hmm. But the things that uh, you know. You can't see, they, they feel distant, they feel like it's natural reality. But the other thing is because the promises of God depend on His surest and guarantee, right? Mm-hmm. The things that are promised are more sure than the things that are like in front of us. Like the things that are off in the distance are more trustworthy than the things that are immediately in front of us. And so that's why, um, there's a universe in Corinthians. Um, Did you have something to add? Um, I think we need to have a self-assurance that we're walking in the ways and the truth and the light of Christ. That our faith is in Christ and in God. But at the same time, we need to put a sincere effort to become the best person righteous, holy, Knowing that we are walking side by side with Christ for our life. And that's kind of an emphasis on this book of Hebrews. I had a 76 page dislocation on and so many, but the importance is that we go through our lives, each one of us individually, have a role that Christ, God, has called us to. And we need to not only be assured of what is calling that heaven awaits us, one of my 
prayer to the Lord, lead me down the path of everlasting life. It's really how I pray with one of my prayers. And I believe that He will lead me down. You have to believe, I have to believe in Christ on my blind path that I'm on right now. And at the same time, I need to be working on myself. And God is working within me. And to become the best person I can be, not only for, for God, but for the church that I'm in, for my family, for America, for everything. And I, I think that's a really important aspect to understand it. This applies to us today. Mm -hmm. And how he was, and the symbols and types of the Old Testament that represent Christ, then we have the privilege of knowing that Christ is here with us. And, and there, there's like this dual partnership going on where God is working in me, and I am working at the same time and becoming the best person I can be for God. And that's that's an important thing. Hmm. We also have in Abraham an example of like faith that is just like fully vested and committed, and faith that is, I believe you, but I'm kind of trying to be like, I'm going to see it through. In fact, he's got two sons, essentially lost the first one, sent, sent off. Ishmael was not that son, because he wanted to do it with his kind, his expectations. And then Isaac, that, you know, God's going to provide this all the way. So we see that transition of like, trying to partially control the situation. And uh, you no, know, this is God's uh, provided son. Hmm. We see the same thing. Are we, are we faithfully serving and relying on the word, uh, continuing to uh, grow in our, our uh, spiritual disciplines and, and live faithfully, but knowing that God's going to fulfill his promises, or are we trying to force things in our in our ways? Hmm. And I can see both of those, but both look kind of like what everybody's been saying. And uh, an example in First Samuel 14, 50, where you have Jonathan and Saul. And Jonathan, uh, or Saul rather, does something really dumb. He burns incense on the altar before the Lord. And uh, he doesn't repent of it. Samuel tells him, hey, it's wrong. You should not have done this. Um, and he said, because you've done this, God has taken away the kingdom from him. And he, and he, is, he says, um, he is now looking uh, has found a man after his own heart. Mm -hmm. And in the very next chapter, you see Jonathan um, leading, um, leading the shield bearer based on what he knows to be true, that God, God can defeat a whole mass of people by himself if he wants to, or he can use one, or he can use a hundred, doesn't matter. But whatever the side of the enemy is, God will win. And so he leads the shield here at that point. And then later on in the same chapter, 15, you see that uh, Cain uh, is told to do whatever is right in his own eyes. And so whatever's before him is what Cain goes after. Or not Cain, Saul. He goes exactly what's after, he basically Cain. Yeah, here you go. Um, but he goes after what's right before him. He does what he thinks is best. And the one that's blessed is Jonathan, not Saul. Saul is actually has the whole word of the Lord removed from him because he did what was right in his own eyes. 
He did not listen to the word of the Lord. In fact, he stopped the demon uh, seeking the word of the Lord and grew the priest. And it was God never spoke to him again, mm-hmm. not through direct revelation nor through Samuel, did problem. Um, and you see the whole this dichotomy of someone who's faithful, Jonathan, and someone who's unfaithful, Saul, um, doing it on his own. To the original question you asked, well, why do we seek after these things, even if we know they're fleeting? Mm-hmm. I think we go back to the garden and to the sin of Adam and Eve. We find that the root of it is the desire for autonomy, even if we sink the ship. Mm-hmm. We don't care. We'd rather go down, our sin nature would rather go down with the ship triumphantly on us than survive the journey. It's kind of funny how, that, how that's the exact opposite. We can't have to go down with the ship. We need to always run my way off the boat. You know, and everybody else is kind of funny. Can I sum up this, the whole thing? Um, I think that's, what, that's been the glory being. You see it all over the place. And I think the biggest challenge for any Christian is, is to follow what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust the Lord with all your heart, lean on your own understanding, and all you will do is he will make you past tree. Um, yeah. And that's, that's the thing, a frantic nature. You go back to the one that things I was talking about earlier. Let's take a second Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, where he says, so when you got this heart, Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this life momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal way of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Hmm. The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are mm-hmm. And so I think the greatest temptation for the Christian is to fix their eyes not on what is immediately in front of them, but to trust in God's wisdom and what he has said, and the fact what he's saying is going to come to pass and not look to the current circumstances, kind of like some of the things you've gone But I think you can see that throughout the whole map. People have done that well, people have failed, but true faith is looking to one's house. Hmm. And then you see both God and hands all happen, that kind of thing, and, you know, he went after Bathsheba and then repented, um, and he put the man in cabin and after he got on Mm-hmm. There's so many examples. So, with that being said, then, if we had an unbeliever in our life that was focused on these things in this world, how would we share with them the gospel and what the gospel promises for the future? Like, we have a way of dealing with tragedies on earth because we're Christians and because we know, okay, yes. Even if I lost everything and died, I still have to look forward to heaven. I'm a citizen there. Even though citizenship here might get a little bit rough, I know that I really belong somewhere else. Well, how do we help the unbeliever see that? If you, if you uh, want to quote the great Shaolin, uh, and he's just quoting the Bible, but he says, uh, for those of you who are living your death life now, see your only reward. And um, there is nothing beyond. In other words, there's nothing behind it. 
Mm. There's nothing beyond this. If this is all that there is, then what's the point? Hmm. Uh, now that strategy only works through a long, a long-term kind of uh, process with a person because they have to trust that you're saying something that's not just going to hurt them, <laughs> um, but that's going to direct them in a certain direction. If you say it too quickly, this is uh, if you say that you know that's all that is. It's you know. Moth and Russ will destroy it. Um, they they usually they usually go yeah that's all I got yeah I'm gonna enjoy it while I have it and I'm gonna enjoy it while I have it but they have to have some level of trust in you to say there's something beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just a four days yeah. so I think hearing will sometimes I think hearing them oh, yeah figure that they figure it out for themselves right like the, the reason that they're searching for something else. Is because they know innately that this is not enough, and so a lot of people I've seen they kind of they kind of experience some type of crisis or just some level where they realize that something that's in their life that they try to find satisfaction in actually doesn't deliver it, especially as as they get older. And so I think I think it's less about some and a lot of it's sometimes less about pointing them to the fact that. Um, this, these things won't satisfy them because a lot of times they know that innately. We come back to that conversation like, why doesn't it satisfy you? What's behind that? Is there anything that satisfies? Is there going to be any solution? Uh, and then kind of showing them like, hey, there actually is something that satisfies. And kind of dialoguing with that person like, about those different circumstances. Hmm. I mean, they got something that you they search for and go after. All it does, like video games, for instance, you will beat my video game, you beat Mario, the original Super Mario Brothers. There's always more Super Mario Brothers 2 to beat, and then Super Mario Brothers 3 to beat. Mm-hmm. And you just start going on and on and on and on perpetual and perpetuity. And they, that, that continuous strip beat things, uh, for instance, is something that we have to, we have to realize that's just a sign that. Whatever this thing is, I can't put my trust in there mm-hmm. uh, because it's always having something else. It's always changing. It's always changing. It's always it, It's always never satisfying. Once I beat that video game or this card game or board game, mm-hmm. and there's always more of this. Yeah. Um, never gonna have your satisfaction in this thing. Jeff, something. Yeah, I spent my Saturday uh, out in the middle of the trip, looking about the church, and uh, I was. I came to the realization that in Christianity, when you said to share the gospel, you're weak. Um, that's why I'm at that. There was an individual SP that adamantly shared the gospel issues all the time. Spent years on mission trips. Um, we're weak. Um, most of the people either had no, no faith in anything, they were Buddhists or they were Hindus, and uh, <laughs> One thing I found is you need to respect whatever the belief is, but present the truth of Christ the best you can. Because I felt like a, a blunder. Uh, I mean, literally. I mean, I don't really like how big I am. Uh, we spend most of our time in Christianity. Mm-hmm. That's where we want to be, who we want to be about. It's a natural process. And then to, to have the opportunity to step out, um, to present the gospel to a lot more of Intimidating and and um, yeah, really have to take time to So it's a 
it's, it's a place that I think the Grizzly community needs to grow. And to really build something worth on and things that I want. Hmm. Yes. It's not the off track I need. Mm-hmm. That doesn't. It doesn't do. Yeah. One thing that I haven't said, though, I think it's really important. Um, you know, I think it has to be carefully balanced when we have these conversations. Is like we're saying, like we were saying before, it's easy to look at um, our part in this, but not recognizing God's part. Um, when Patrick comes to mind, the first company is the high plant and tallest water to gain the growth. And so, as much as we need to do our part of faithfully sharing gospel, making a relationship with people to to share the gospel and to live lives and be able to speak into their lives, we also have to remember that it's not us doing anything in that person's life. Mm-hmm. It is God who's using us to do something mm-hmm. and using our works to, to do those things, but it's God who's actually making those things effective. Mm-hmm. And so if we try to think about this, the way we say it this way, the way we say it that way, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't work. And another example in First Corinthians is that God doesn't use the wise words of the world. He doesn't use the powerful people. He uses weak, humble people. And so we don't need to, we don't need to overthink exactly what we do. Mm-hmm. We just have to do it in faith and trust that he will work through us. And if we just forget that mindset, then I think they would do a lot better through us. And so, yeah. Yeah. And so we just got to be careful when we have this conversation that we're not overthinking the the ABCs of exactly pragmatics, the pragmatics of it, but more of the you know ABCs of the Christian faith, which is God's faith, the one that changes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that goes back to the what is your faith in? It's your faith in God or faith in tangible things? Yeah, it's you can kind of like, mm-hmm. you can say words differently or present different things to people, mm-hmm. but you're not going to be the one that can save the body. Uh, and so you have to just put your faith in God, knowing that He is the one who do the work. As much as we can do things, going work to get them. But whether we have what we need is up to God. We can say things to the gospel, but whether people are saying is up to God. Right. And he does a better Yeah, no, I agree. And to wrap what Stephanie just said as our like closing statement, because I think we have to close. Okay. Uh, even with evangelism, we have to trust current conversations that we're having with people that God is going to use for the future, which is ultimately that they'll glorify him by putting their faith in him and they'll be renewed. So think about these things. We have a lot of promises from God and we have a lot of stuff that goes on day to day. And you can't keep your head only in this and what's going on. We need to be looking up to where he's at. So he's faithful for his promises. And that's all I got. All right. So we pray out. Lord, thank you for this. Uh, word from Hebrews. I pray that you will use it um, to just grow our faith in you and to remember who you've been um, in the lives of the biblical authors and the stories. I pray that uh, those will equip us and encourage us to trust you more every day. And we love you, praise you, and you're my prayer. Amen.